This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kine. Hi, I'm David Bernstein, and uh, <laughs> I've been a software developer for actually longer than I care to admit. And I've had the great good fortune of training professional software developers in my career for about 30, 25 years, something like that. So I've trained about 10,000 in XP practices over the last 20 years. But before that, it was object-oriented programming and, and new technologies and stuff like that. This is a continuing episode of a series with David Scott Bernstein about his book, Beyond Legacy Code. And in this episode, we have a big lineup of special guests. Ron Quartel, Jeff Hoover, Len Gresky, Dan Davis, Butch Howard, and George Walters. Contractor Legacy Code is is really mostly focused on convincing arguments to management for why it's valuable to refactor and what is not valuable to refactor. We're not saying refactor everything all the time. In fact, that would be like impossible. What we're saying is when it makes business sense to, when we have to go in and change something, right? The metaphor I like to give is um, imagine you're going to throw a big dinner party for a bunch of your friends, but you've been really busy and your kitchen is a mess. You haven't cleaned it in a month. What do you do first? I would say that pretty much everybody would say the first thing I need to do is clean the kitchen, right? Because I need to have some space to put the, you know, to put the stuff out and all that. I would, nobody would like in a completely wrecked kitchen try to create a gourmet meal, right? Although that's exactly what we do in Legacy Code all the time. And so the idea of cleaning up first, giving ourselves that space, having those mental metaphors to the physical world, I think really helps people recognize those key characteristics in the virtual world. Otherwise, it's just too intangible for us. I like that metaphor, and I especially like how it applies that if you're going to do a gourmet meal, clean the kitchen. That doesn't mean you need to clean the bathroom in the basement. Yes, good point. Exactly. Yes, yes. Another one I, I really like is is the workshop, right? So a mechanic or a woodworker, how, how much time do they spend um, cleaning their workshop and putting the tools in the right places Right, because if if there's not order there, they can't work, and so the amount of time spent like not working directly on creating value, it's you can't skip it. Still, right? There's an overhead to to being able to do that work. It's sweeping the floor. It's getting rid of the dust. It's it's checking my tools. It's putting them in the right place. You know, it's creating uh, uh, maintaining enough order that we can continue to do work. It doesn't have to be perfect, like you said. But there's a, there's a level of order that has to be in place for us to be able to work. And that's that's not understood and, and often ignored by, by businesses, right? Because because software, you can't see it, right? But we can, but, you know, it's not, yeah, you can't walk in and go, oh, what's, what's happening in this software? It's a mess. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not that obvious. 
But yeah, that's, I love the, the metaphor. I, I like the metaphors too. I mean, they, they, they help us quickly. It's called fuzzy, uh, qu- it's, sorry, it's thinking fast. So it's because the metaphor connects with us and we know quickly how to do this. But then you get to the person who says, look, Lance, you need to justify your, 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 your pay here, <laughs> right? So if you're going to teach these people to do refactoring and TDD, what's the value back to organization? And that person wants dollars. Do you have any, and I don't recall seeing something about this in the book, so I might be asking for a version two of this, but uh, <laughs> did I miss something or, or do you have, a, do you have a, a cost model to say, hey, you are wasting this much money if you don't refactor? So, you know, <laughs> you're, you're just taking an abstract concept and saying, give me tangibles. Yes. Reality doesn't work that way. Logic and thought doesn't work that way, let alone a situation. However, what we're talking about is it takes more time to deliver the feature than less time. Right. And more means more expensive. Right. So from a manager's perspective, that's being bad. <laughs> and from being able to get it done faster is good. Right. So that's the cost model. That you know, one is going to be much more expensive. How much more expensive? Right. I'll tell you this. Uh-huh. From my own personal experience, I can't give you a number value, right. but I can say that it is significantly more than you could ever expect. The cost of re- the cost of having really bad legacy code and trying to, because I, I come across company after company who <laughs> I can't name names, but many companies that you've heard of, senior managers say to me, "Yeah, I just lost twenty six million dollars this year. We got no nothing done, no features," and. This is not uncommon, you know, after a while, like in your fifth or sixth year of Scrum, when you've accumulated so much technical debt that you can't just do it. And managers are like, hey, why your story points are off? Why can't you? They think that, you know, the team has lost interest, but that's not what happened at all. They've reached critical mass. And when you do, boy, you're sunk, you know, (laughs) it's kind of like the greenhouse effect, you know, when all the ice melts, boy, (laughs) we're in trouble, right? Yeah, yeah. And the problem with with some of these uh, long la- lagging indicators is is it's hard to how do I say make a, cap- a capitalistic argument for 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 diving in and, and solving the problem. Like like Len's a good example. Len in his position, he probably won't hire me if I don't have a good <laughs> uh, economic argument. I'll admit that I have a bias, not from you know being an executive, but from being a sociologist, and that. You know, when we teach social scientists uh, how to do research, one of the key things that we teach is everything that exists can be measured. And and so the question is, how good are we as practitioners at knowing what to measure and how to make it visible to people? So, so and, I would tend to disagree. I think that there are domains that are measurable and there are domains that are unmeasurable or measurable in different ways. Like, how do you measure stochastic resonance? How do you measure random events? You can't because they're random. And, you know, development is not random, but it definitely doesn't fall along uh, cadence all the time. It's, well, you know, the, 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 the complex but, domain but, can't be measured but, in the same way that the simple domain is. Well, I'm not saying that you measure everything the same way. Okay. I mean, the, Right. I mean, the point is that everything that exists can be measured, and it's the, the you know it's the, the job of the people who are man you know m- managing a system 
to, to figure out how to have a valid and reliable way to measure it. Yeah. How do you measure creativity? How do you measure Leonardo da Vinci? How do you measure inventing something that has never been done before? If you can do that, that's great. But I've never met anyone who could. And I think that we oftentimes, because we're so scared, because we want to have some level of influence or control, I've seen managers do this all the time. They grasp on the wrong things, the wrong metrics, the wrong levers. And they think that they're, they're controlling this, but actually, more often than not, in some situations, they're actually impediments to getting, getting things done. Well, I, I, would say, I would say that I agree with you that there are, you know, many people measure the wrong things. However, that, that's a different discussion than can we measure the right things? Yeah. And, or do right, we? So, and, and, and I don't want to take this off into a rabbit trail of, you know, how I re once resolved the problem of someone confronting me with, you, you can't. Uh, you can't tell me, you can't measure how much I love my wife. But I did actually have a valid and reliable way to answer that. But that's pro probably best left to a discussion over adult beverages. Yeah, I'd love to know a little bit more about, um, in our just our little bit of time left, about the book. And, you know, I'm working on other books, too, and love to get some feedback on that. <laughs> Since I'm, like I say, about to lock myself away again. Um, so, so I mean, I think that you know, from my perspective, the a lot of the book resonated with me in you know, in terms of the things to do to help you know individual team members make better use of their time and be better stewards of their talents, right. and and that helping people understand that there's a piece of the the craft that we're called to produce things that are useful for our customers and for the organizations that we work for. But there's also an intrinsic value of being a better practitioner that I think is also important. But I, I like the way that it was very practical and that you know, there are things that individuals could do. You know, you could take the content out of your book and actually do something about it. Oh, I, and thank you so much for saying that, because one of the criticisms I've gotten about this book is, you don't tell anybody to do anything. And I'm like, huh? Uh, all the, you might notice all the subheads in part two are all directive. They're all do this, do that. And as you pointed out, there's the two sets of seven strategies at the end of each practice. They're not really summaries of what was covered previously. Some They touch on some of the things that were covered previously and then introduce new things. But again, just to give you like lots of tangible things that like to think about and to maybe try and explore. And it's interesting because, you know, you write a book because you want to influence people and you want to have people, you want to sort of help people think through ideas. And generally that, that is the case, but sometimes you can't get through the internal conversations that people are having. So like, I just read a review of my book and the guy said, yeah, you know, all these problems in software development. And then he says, then Agile will fix it all. And that's not at all what I said. <laughs> but he had that conversation in his head so strong that, that that's what he read. Right. He brought that to the table. Yeah, yeah right. Right. Yeah, that's, like, that's kind of a, yeah, yeah. If you read it, there's a book called How to Disagree Without Being Disagreeable. And it talked about analysis on 
disagreements. And, and what that person did is he brought a straw man to the table. It isn't what you said, but he'll bring it up there and he'll knock it down and kind of imply, see, I saw, I, I, I disagreed in one, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Agile Thoughts wants your help. However you find our show, be it through iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast aggregation systems, go ahead and leave us a review. Click some stars, and that will help us grow the show. Thank you. Check out the show notes because we have some goodies in there, like a video of David where he frames up the problems with software development. And there's other links to things about David there as well, like to his company and to his book, Beyond Legacy Code. Where are the show notes? The show notes are right there in your podcast player, if that's what you use to listen to this audio. If instead you're downloading this podcast from the website, go back to the website and there you'll see the show notes where you downloaded this MP3. This episode is part of a series. If you missed the first episode, go back to the show archive and you'll find the start of this series at episode 188. How to find the show archive? Type in your favorite search engine, Lancer Agile Thoughts Archive. Next episode, more David Scott Bernstein. And, and that's actually ruining the TDD as a brand because then they have this negative effect and then there's a bunch of people that do it incorrectly and they have that network negative effect that, oh, TDD doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And in fact, there's a whole movement out there called TDD is dead because of this. And they have a lot of valid points, but it's not because TDD is bad. It's because the way we're acting is wrong.